Welcome to Business of Design. Business of Design is the world's best business training for interior design professionals like you. The Business of Design podcast offers immediate, actionable strategies and a glimpse into some of the many field-tested, proven systems you can implement to transform your business and your life. After the show, head to businessofdesign.com and get started with the BOD 15-step project management strategy and six foundational programs. Together, they deliver the systems, procedures, and strategies you need to run a successful, highly profitable design business. There's no theory here. The complete BOD business model is yours through Business of Design membership. Business of Design. There's only one. And now, your BOD Advocate-in-Chief, Kimberly Selden. Hello, hello. Welcome to Business of Design. Can you imagine episode 320? How on earth have we gotten to episode 320? We have been doing this for a while now. And I don't know about you, but I feel like it never gets old. I love meeting new professionals and getting new insights and gaining new wisdom. And today's show is no exception. You're going to meet a wonderful person, someone who speaks fluent business of design. Yes, because we're going to talk about a favorite subject, which is profitability, a subject which eluded me for the first 10 years of my career. And it took a major wake-up call for me to realize that, you know what, I could be doing the same amount of work, but enjoying it so much more and making clients happier and be profitable. If I would just change, oh, I don't know, everything about the way I was doing business. I don't want to overwhelm you, but in my experience, one change will lead to the next, which leads to the next, which leads to the next. And one day you look up and you thought you set out to organize your business and what happened is you just made your life so much better. And that's what profitability can lead to because profitability really is a signal that everything else is working favorably. Everything else is working as it's supposed to be working. Where before I was the only thing that was working and I was working too hard for too little return, far too little return. I settled for far too little. And we don't want you to do that. We want you to ask for more, more, more. Put your blinders on, make the changes you need to make, get out there and claim what's yours. After spending over $100,000 in coaching, I realized I was the person standing in my way. And if I would accept that I needed to make changes and begin to make those changes, I could have a different result. Don't spend over $100,000 on coaching. You don't need to do that. What you do need is a tribe of people who speak your language, and that's what this community is. So we're glad you're here. We're going to check in with Cheryl and see what's happening at Business Design, and then we're going to get right into the episode. Let me tell you a little bit about our guest. You're about to meet Julia Nikishina. She is originally from Ukraine, and of course, we've all been thinking about Ukraine these days. Julia says she knows what it means to work hard, and she's been providing personalized tax planning services since starting her own firm. We are going to talk to Julia today about how to make sure that you are profitable with every single project you run. And now... Let's hear from Director of Operations at Business of Design, Cheryl Horn. Thanks, Kimberly. Well, tomorrow, Wednesday, April 19th at 1 p.m. EST is our next BOD Live. And that's simple to participate in. All you have to do is be a member and head to the member dashboard and click the button to join right before we go live. So again, that's happening tomorrow at 1 p.m. 
E-S-T. And then we have also just opened up registration for a BOD 15 seminar series. We are hitting up Toronto, Santa Monica, and Winchester. All dates are happening in October and complete details are on the website. So you have been hearing us talk about this for a while because we just ran this same two-day intensive seminar in Australia and now we're bringing it to other members in North America. So again, we've got three locations and we are going to be covering the Business of Design 15-step project management strategy boot camp version two days. So whether you are a longtime member and want a refresher, need clarifications on any of the steps, or you are learning this for the very first time, uh, we sort of had a mix of the two at the Australia seminar and it was such an amazing group and uh, the feedback we got was amazing. So we really, we stepped up and got new dates on the calendar really quick. So again, all dates are in um, October. Uh, we're going to be in Toronto, October 4th and 5th, Santa Monica on October 11th and 12th, and then Winchester for those in the DC area on October 25th and 6th. And actually our Winchester location is going to be hosted by uh, Sierra Collins, who I know you've heard on the podcast. She's a business of design um, partner, and she's going to be doing a little bit of a lunch and learn as well. So we have a little bit of a bonus there. Details uh, for these seminars are on the website. You can register for any of the uh, locations and we will be going through the full 15. Of course, members are going to save $200 on their tickets and we do have early bird pricing for everyone to also save an additional $200 until July. So please check that out. Let me know if you have any questions and we hope you will join us for that. Uh, we are still accepting applications for BOSS as well. Um, whether you're looking to join one of our regular groups or we also have an Australia group, um, an exclusive group that we are launching as a result of the BOD 15 seminars that we just did. Um, they sort of, they voted, they, they're bringing BOD boss to Australia, which we're really excited about. Um, but the, the process and details are the same regardless of what group you're interested in. So please head to the website and click on boss in the main menu if you are interested in applying for one of our groups. And of course, I'm always available for questions or discuss any of the events or membership that we do here at Business of Design, Cheryl at businessofdesign.com. I would love to hear from you. Uh, I think that's it for today. Thanks so much. Julia, you're feeling better. Feeling better. Yes. Thank you. You've had strep throat. That is not fun. No. And it's funny. I didn't, I, I guess I didn't realize adults get I get that, but here we are. Yeah, it's nice to have, you know, something other than COVID for a change. So, okay, that means your immune system is just waking up, which is not a bad thing. That's true. That's true. And speaking of waking up, we want to talk about a subject that I think we all need to be awake for, which is how do you determine profitability per project? I do not know a lot of interior design professionals, and I know thousands of interior design professionals, but I do not know many who can tell you what their profitability is per project. Why is that even important, Julia? So I always tell all of our clients before they take a project on, right? It doesn't make sense to, even if you're short on cash flow, does it make sense to take on a project if you're going to lose money? And the answer to that is, right, of course not. Why? It would be a waste, a complete waste of your time. And how do you evaluate that? And you should be always evaluating that in two different buckets in terms of are you making pro are you making profit on product and are you making profit on your time to be able to make profit on your time involves you to track it which we know is 
Um, I, I think a, a difficult thing to do. Um, I'm sure you could relate to that. I mean, I'm in the time tracking space myself. Um, it, it's, it, you know, it, it's on that task list. There's but so much resistance to that. And so, I don't so understand so it. I just personally, I don't understand it because when I'm tracking what I'm doing, I know I'm going to recoup revenue for that amount of my resource of time. But there are so many in the interior design industry who say, I'm just going to do a flat fee and then I don't have to track my time. And that's exactly. don't you, like, isn't yeah. that just a total race to the bottom? Like there's really no way around it. You, whether you do a flat fee or an yep. hourly fee, you have to track your resources on a project. Well, and, it, and so if somebody said like, it's funny, yes, that's such a big one. I, well, I'm going to charge a flat fee. Well, then the answer is, but how do you know you were, how do you know, you estimated the right the right flat fee. What if you were way off? What if you said fifty thousand dollars as a flat fee, but it took you a hundred hours more than the fifty thousand dollar bucket, right? So it, you need to understand what your time is worth. And tracking time for yourself is a different, I think, a different conversation slightly than having employees track time, because you should then be using the analytics on employee time tracking not only for profit, but to also understand um, how not resourceful but how productive your employee is, right? What's their billable versus non-billable ratio? And especially, so forget administrative staff, and you shouldn't be overloaded on administrative staff in a design firm anyway, right? Because they're non-billable, so they're sucking out all the profit from the business. Well, and I think they're doing something administrative. Which client are they doing something administrative for? In which case, it's billable. So, you know, our philosophy is very little non-billable time, you know. That's that's a total strain. On your profitability. A senior designer and your requirement is for them to work ideally, right? 2,080 hours if if you're shooting for 40 hours. They should be billing 1,900, right? 1,800, 1,900, 2,000 hours. And very little should be non billable, especially if you're in a bigger firm, right? Anything than non billable would go to a junior level person whose cost to you is a lot less, right? So if if nobody's tracking time, I mean, you're just sort of like shooting in the dark, right? To say, well, this sounds like a good number. I think it'll, I think we'll make money. And then you're, so not only are you saying, well, okay, this sounds like a good number. I think you'll make money. But at the end of the project, you have no clue. Did it actually cost you, right? Was, did you spend so much extra time on it that it actually, you you know, you're paying your staff to keep the project going and happy. Right. And I know what happens in most cases, they wait till the end of the year. They, that interior design professional who has that attitude of, I don't have time to track time. I'm just going to do a flat fee. They wait till the end of the year and the accountant says, whoa, you made after a year of full-time hard work, assuming tons of risk and liability, you made a whopping $30,000 to take home, which is the same amount you would make if you worked at Starbucks. Literally. So it's, there's just no way around it. You have to slow down enough to understand the resources you're putting into every project. And then you have to analyze whether or not you calculate it correctly. If you've done a flat fee, you have to do that analytics. And um, I mean, it's funny that I think that's a really great way of of, of describing it to the design. Right. And I tell, I, I tell the, whether it's a smaller firm or a bigger firm, if you're not billing by the quarter hour, you don't necessarily, you don't need to ask yourself or staff to track by the quarter hour. But every Friday before you check out at five, think about your week and allocate your 40 hours and try to even bucket it slightly as to, right, some of it was site meetings, some of it was searches and selections, some of it was expediting, some of it was construction admin. I mean, I, I don't know, it's going to depend on your firm. 
And then once you're able to bucket it and then at least assign it to the client. And again, take billable, non-billable out of it, at least for right and right. Start somewhere. Get a start, get a frame of reference for yourself. <clears throat> Even if you do that on a small project, most of the time, right? Anybody who listens to that advice and then says, even if that small project is a flat fee, it's really mind blowing to know how much time you spent on um, actual design work. And then right, procurement is a whole separate animal and, and product profit is a whole separate animal. And so how do you charge for that within your firm? Do you do a flat markup? Okay, if you do a flat markup, your markup should in theory, right? Cover all of the hours spent on ordering and expediting and getting product from point A to point Z. And that also goes right back into time tracking, right? Because you should be able to pull a report out of any software in theory to say, okay, this was how much money I made on product, but how much time did it take me to order that product and, and get it delivered to the client on a big, a big install or a small install? So we would track the time it takes separately and independently, and that would be part of design fees. And then we would charge our, our, we, we, our markup or discount, whatever, with our clients independently. But what you're saying is both of those metrics are important at the end of the project to be able to go back and say, yes, I delivered all this product and I made this handsome profit on it. Because if I didn't, I'm not just losing the opportunity for income, right? I'm actually, it's actually costing me money. Costing me money. Can yeah. you talk about that? Because I see that a lot. Designers will sometimes say, well, you know, I'm going to do this for a few more years. I'm building sweat equity. I'll worry about that later. I'm just getting some of this experience under my belt. But it, I spent a lot of years losing money, actually losing money, which I was able to do because I had a partner who had a good income. So I was able to like, oh, worry about it next year. Talk to us about the cost of not being mature around the financials of your business. So <clears throat> I think what you said is also a, a great point, right? So you have some of these, some, some designers who are learning and, and they are saying, okay, well, I need to take this project. Even if it costs me money, I need to take this project. It's a great learning opportunity for me. But going back to what you just said, but you'd be better off working. You'd be better off working at Starbucks. You'd make more money. Right. <clears throat> I think you have to understand when to be able to take a project and when at the end of the day, be able to walk away and whether or not that's the right client and forget sort of big or small. You need to be able to take it to not to, and not lose money. And so how do you do that? And if you're evaluating, for example, the, the procurement fee, so if, if you're charging 35% markup across the board, actually, let's back that up. Let's say you're charging 25% markup across the board, and it's a smaller project, and you wind up, and then there's some mistakes. So whether they're measurement mistakes or whether they're upholstery mistakes, like you know, or there's damages, and you eat, you eat those costs because you have to make the client happy. And then when you're reviewing your product profit, you're like, oh my gosh, not only did I eat away at any any product, mar right, any margin that I had, I also spent all these hours getting this product delivered that was damaged and had to be refunded and you had to coordinate with, you know, A, B, C, and D. And then at the end of the day, you're losing money. And so then what happens then when a great project comes along? And let's say you did you, you you did do relatively well on that project. Maybe you didn't kill it, but but you did relatively well. Any profit that you had on that project, right, goes to cover yourself on, on a not-so-profitable project. So at the end of the day, what's the point? I do. I mean, I try really hard to have conversations just more higher level to say, 
what are you doing and is it working? <laughs> right. And, and that's, that's, that's a very open-ended question of honestly, what are, you know, what are you doing? How are you pricing and is it working? And forget, right. Sort of forget flat fee, forget hourly square, square footage too. I mean, I actually really like that model. Some people are doing a percentage of total FF and E spent. That's a great way to do it too. All of that though circles back to how good is your record keeping and how good is your time tracking? Yes. Again, no shortcuts. This is one of those eat your vegetables uh, messages, right? There's just no way around the fundamentals. And I would say the problem with asking most interior design professionals, how did it go? How did you do at the end of the year? Is they're not going to give you an answer based on metrics and facts. They're going to give you an answer based on how they feel. Like that's what I, it was great. I had a great year. I had, I did this client and that client and, you know, we got along really well. But when I go back and I look at the numbers, it's like the numbers are not matching how I felt about the product, about the project. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's I think too, that's, a, that's another really great point. So tra- uh, training ourselves to pay more attention to the metrics and the metrics alone can also be beneficial. But I think it's hard, right? So a lot of interior designers are not, uh, math, right, is is not in their left or right brain. I always forget which side of the brain <laughs> is. is um, and I think it's really hard for them. And I, and I do think a lot of them go based stuff. Well, I think I did, right? I think I did really well. I think that project was really profitable. But they may not necessarily want to put the habits of, of understanding if their pricing structure is, is working for them. And I think that'll hurt them. Real, if you're trying to shoot for growth, that's going to stifle you in the long run because you're never going to be able to have a reference point of looking back. Yeah. And I think when you're not doing it, I can speak for myself. When I wasn't paying attention to those metrics, it all seems scary and murky and unknown and almost unknowable. Once somebody sat down with me and broke it down, I'm like, okay, this is not nearly as hard as I thought it was, A. And B, you mentioned software. Most of us have software. Any good accounting software is going to run all the profitability reports you need. And failing that, you probably have a bookkeeper or an accountant who can provide you with those reports. So there's lots of ways to get it. I often think it's just about that strategic pause. Stop what you're doing and build time into your schedule for analytics on a regular basis. On a right, yeah. And it, even, so are you going to look at, at profit every single week? No, probably not. I mean, you could tell yourself you are, but you probably aren't. Um, I do think it's most important to, to try to, if it's a really big project, you should be doing a check-in. But if it's if, it, if it's a six month, something like that, then you really should be trying to look at it monthly, maybe again, quarterly, just depends on the size. But at the end of a project, really sitting back to say, okay, wh- where did I, what did I do well? And where did I, uh, where did I make money in terms of, is there a particular category of goods that I'm really good at? And it's funny, I use this example all the time because it stuck with me and it's from years ago. And we work, um, we worked with a showroom and they made pillows and they made pillows. So it was an interior designer who opened a showroom. And so she had a lot of like residual fabric, right? Remnants, I think is, is right. the, is, yeah, yeah. Is so she had a lot of fabric remnants and it was really expensive fabric. The client already covered it and paid for it. And so she was making extremely expensive pillows and selling them at a relatively good pace. And so once, once you looked back at a, at a year or again, a quarter or, or half a year, we, we understood that our margin on pillows was like 
two, three hundred percent. We were making thousands of dollars of, on pillows a month. And so that really became a category, a revenue stream that sort of was un unpredicted and had a really great margin and was able. So if you were slow in the showroom one month, but if you could move pillows, you you, you made more money on, on pillows sometimes than you did a wing chair. And so if you if, if your reports are solid enough where you're able to and extrapolate information to say, oh, wow, I could see sort of time and time again that I do really well selling custom sofas. And I, I don't. And is it because your design is really great? Is it because your upholster maybe is is really cheap, so you have a really great markup? Okay, maybe. But is there a category that you're doing really well on? And how do you expand that category? A lot of times, I do think it's custom. It's custom pieces. A lot of designers are really great at antiques and are really great at sourcing, right? So that's another way for them to maybe make up some margin that that they weren't necessarily expecting at right out of an original budget out of the gate. We did some of that analytics years ago. I think it was around 2009 when, when, when it was very quiet in the interior design world, I must say. So we went, we had time to go back. And I saw immediately, like any time I used fabric, I had such a good margin. And when I didn't use fabric, I had less of a margin. So that meant that 2009, 10, and 11, when all we did were kitchens and baths because the, of the economic, you know, shutdown, slowdown, whatever, those were less profitable years for me. So, but if I hadn't taken the time to do that analytics, I wouldn't have known that. And now I'm well aware of that. So now when we get approached just to a kitchen or bath, we go, nah, I don't really think that's our thing. That's not what we want to do. We want to do the whole house top to bottom, but I never would have known that. So looking at those categories, I think is really important. I'm glad you brought that up. But what's the value? What what else is the value of knowing per pro project profitability? What else can I glean from that? Are there comparisons? Like every time we do a whole house, we make this much profit, but when we only do a kitchen, it's this much profit. What are the kind of things we're looking for comparing per project profitability? That's a lot of P's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is. Um, so I, I think if you understand, so if, you do, if you're doing a whole house construction top to bottom F and FF&E, and let's assume you're working with an architect, and at the end of that project, you stand back and say, okay, well, I made X amount of dollars, whether that's zero to, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars. You're then able to say to yourself, wow, that project, it was a really great experience. I could have made more money. How do I do a better job moving forward? And you're able then to bucket those types of similar jobs to say to yourself, I did really well on my design fee. I tracked my time. My flat fee wound up coming ahead, right? I, I did great. But when it came to the, the purchasing budget, I shit the bed. Right. I, 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 my markup was too low and I didn't do, I didn't do a good job to it, pulling resources or, or doing my searches and selections. I didn't have the right vendors that I really should have had relationships with, or I, I wasn't buying fabric by the bulk because I didn't know that existed. So I couldn't get the margins on fabric, et cetera. So you should be able to say, or be able to bucket your projects to then to be able to look back and moving forward, understand what you should be doing better or differently. To some degree, right? I mean, every project, as we all know, has its own hiccups, um, and it, they may not necessarily be yours, right? They may you may be working with a GC or, or an architect who's causing those hiccups, but you should be able to build any type of mistakes, give or take, right, it, into a fee of some sort. And then again, you should be able to look at your margin to be able to say, okay, well, I know there's going to be some costs that I need to eat, whether it be again for damages or or incidentals, like there's going to be something that I need 
that I need that I need to cover for the client to make them happy, or I need to buy back, et cetera. And so how do you do your pricing and how do you, again, structure those vendor relationships to be always ahead? So I really like lookbacks for that reason, to be able to say, oh, I have a new I have a new townhome in the city, but I had a townhome two years ago. Well, let's look to see how I did on that townhome. Did I, did I have a flat fee? How many hours did it take me against that flat fee? And what was my markup? And even with a 25% markup, how much money did I make, including all of my time for procurement and expediting? And if you are um, in the habit of constantly eating deficiencies and mistakes, I hope you'll become a Business of Design member because we talk about that and we talk about how to avoid that. And we have the majority of my projects, I'm not eating mistakes. It's just not what I'm doing. Occasionally, occasionally I am. Uh, if it's really, if it's our really our our mess up, then absolutely. But we should we should definitely point that out that that's not something you should think about on a regular basis. But I like what you said about being able to create these buckets and categories, and to be able to also look back and say, hmm, we took longer on this townhouse than that townhouse, or on this project than that project. What's going on there? Because you mentioned off the top of the show something about efficiencies. I have noticed, I think it's Parkinson's law, the amount of time you have for a task is the amount of time it will take you to do the task. In other words, if I have 28 hours to source product for a client, I'll spend 28 hours sourcing product for the client. But if I have seven hours, I will get it done. And we're just finishing an installation today, as a matter of fact. And we had so little time to source for styling because of a whole bunch of reasons. And I cannot believe how fast we have been able to pull this together. I mean, it's been insane, but it's been insane for three days instead of for three weeks. You know what I mean? So I think that that's important too, to constantly be pushing yourself to be more efficient and effective at the tasks you're delivering. Well, that's, that's, you know, I, I don't know if you procrastinate. I think I do sometimes, not always. It just, I think it depends, but right. If you're, if you're a procrastinator, you know, right. You'll get it for the most part, you'll get it done in two hours. Instead of if you worked on it a week ago, you would have taken the whole week to complete the task. Yeah. Um, the other thing regarding profit that I like to do for a look back is then to do a comparison too. So if you did, again, if you did a flat fee, the question then would be, what was that flat fee based on? But if you, if even if then you look back to say, okay, well, I did a flat fee and it was a total construction, it was a total construction build and I was involved with the GC and the architect. If you then take the, the total construction spend and do a percentage of that, what would that number have been as compared to the flat fee that I charged? If you do a markup on FF&E as, as, as a way of getting paid for product, look to see what their total FF&E spend was. And then say, okay, well, what if I did a percentage of FF&E as, as my procurement fee? What would that number have been as compared to the profit that I made, right? So how close are you on, on all the different pricing models? I tend, to, I tend to believe that if you do a good job pricing, all of those models come in relatively close. Yeah, I agree. And you should be able to, again, with a couple, with a couple jobs behind you and really good analytics, be able to say moving forward, Again, we have a we have a townhome coming in. It's twenty two hundred square feet. If I did a square foot model, my price would be X. If I did a, a percentage of construction, my price would be X. And the same, and again, the same for FF and E. And those numbers again come in within just a couple thousand dollars of one another. And I think it really should make you then feel really good about where you are as a firm and how you're doing on pricing, because it means that you're finally in a rhythm. 
And do things happen? Sure. Do, do construction budgets go haywire? Sure. You know, sure. But, but for the most part, you are able to see consistency. And I think when you get to that point, it is, it's almost freeing, right? It's very relieving to know uh, this is, and if somebody pushes back to you on you, meaning a client says something, they're like, this is too expensive. Then that's not the right project for you. And that's okay. And that's not the right client. Yeah. And if you're not taking time to do that, then what I found myself doing for nearly a decade is continuing to use the same methods that weren't profitable on the next project and the next project, but telling myself I would do better. How can you do better if you haven't changed your methods? You're not going to do better. You're, you're actually going to do worse because when something bad happens, you're going to lose money. You're going to be out of pocket money. Anyway, there's just no getting around it. There are some fundamentals that we all want to think about in terms of profitability per project. And then the other thing you, you mentioned is let's say you did really well in terms of billing for design hours, but you completely blew it in procurement. I find a lot of design professionals say, well, that's okay because I made a lot in design hours. It's almost like, it's almost like I'm not supposed to make too much. I, you know, like this mindset that, you know, I'm just a decorator, so I shouldn't make a lot of money. Do you run into that with your clients as well, Julia? Um, I, I think, I think some, I think a lot of the larger firms don't have that problem (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because they know their overhead expenses are are need to be covered, right? And there's there's a lot of them. Um, but some of the smaller firms, it's funny. I think a lot of the even even smaller firms that are busy, right? And the, their volume for one, two, three people is astronomical. I mean, I mean, they are really cranking out projects and doing really well. But I do think that there's a sense of like, I don't need to charge for that. I don't need to charge for that. That's okay. It's not a big deal. I don't need to charge for that. I don't have office space. It's not. You know, I'm not. I'm not Michael Smith. It's, you know, and, and I, I think it is harder for them to justify their time versus a bigger firm that understands the fact that regardless of if they think that they should or they shouldn't, they need to because their overhead expenses are $2.3 million a year. So it's a, it is a different mindset. And, and I, that's all that a lot of that is just coaching, right. And understanding, um, understanding that your time is worth it. And, and I, it's, I, I do agree with you. I, I think just because, so again, and that goes back to the very beginning of this conversation, design time is design time and, and profit on that is, is separate and product is product and procurement can be a nightmare, especially since COVID though, I think it is finally, finally, you know, lightening up and getting better. Um, but that is, that is its own, it's its own stream and it's, 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 it's it, it, it's you need to evaluate that separately to understand. And are you efficient, right? So you could be like you just said, you could be efficient on on design fees, and you could be great at doing the design concept and the design development. But you could have absolutely horrible processes when it comes to ordering. And so then, if you're looking at that profit, you should be able to say to yourself, "Oh shoot, what happened? What did I right? What what did I do wrong? Am I using the wrong software? Am I using the wrong vendors? Am I is my staff not?" following up correctly, right? What am, what am I, what am I missing that I, I completely underestimated procurement by, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. Yeah. And I I would say you're right that procurement is tedious and time consuming, but remember that it's also tedious and time consuming for the client, which is why they're hiring you. So 
you know, that's part of the deal. I'm going to do this tedious, time-consuming thing better than you can do it, but I am going to charge you for that service. And I'm going to charge you for the risk and liability I'm going to assume on behalf of you for taking on that task, right? It has to be profitable. Everything you do must be profitable or don't do it. Do do some play tennis, do something else, you know? (laughs) Well, and I think it's, it's interesting. I think firms who do a good job explaining to their end clients about how tedious procurement is, because you have some clients who'll say, well, I'll, I'll receive that. I'll receive that. Well, I'll do that. I'll do that. But you have to do your part in the contract phase to explain to them, no, 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 no. You don't understand, right? You can't receive a drop shipment. They're not, they're, they'll only drop it to a warehouse, right? With a garage store. You, you simply can't receive it. And if you'd like to if you'd like to rent out space and receive it and wait there for seven hours a day, by, right, by, by all means, you do that and I won't charge you for it. That's all on you. But I think you have to explain to clients what that procurement process is. And we have some firms who do a great job and in their, forget even in their contract, but verbally they're explaining to clients what that means to get product from point A to point Z. And so then the clients could understand, oh, I, I, right, I didn't know that. I understand that. And you're coordinating so many vendors and so many receivers and, and warehouses, right? And, and, and upholsters and the fabric vendors and everything. And if the client can understand that, I think they have a much better handle and acceptance yeah. of a markup. Yeah. And inspecting goods on receipt, right? Like yes. if you receive something and you didn't notice that there's a big scratch on the side, you know, two months later, three months later, when you're ready to put it in the house, it's too late, you own it with the scratch. So yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, I always tell designers to have some horror stories ready to go. When you yeah. get to this yeah. category, explain what can go wrong when the client receives goods themselves. And it's not very hard to convince them to leave it with you in most cases. Agreed. Agreed. Oh my gosh, such a good conversation. And um, you know, uh, Julia, we love to end every episode with something we call design intervention. It's just a great piece of business advice. It doesn't have to be related to profitability per project, Um, but something you think that's like a North Star you live by. Hmm. Across, Across industries, across the board? Sure, yeah. Um, one of my favorite sayings that I, I read it years years ago, but it really stuck with me is um, if you're not growing, you're shrinking. Mm. And I love that saying because it, it is, it's so true, right? If you take a step back and think about it, if you're not growing, right, you're you're shrinking. You're you're mm. you're not, and not, not necessarily revenue, right? But even but even process growth or efficiency growth, um, emotional growth, anything related. Related to that, it is so true. In relationships too, I mean, personal and professional. If you're not continuing to expand yourself, your resources, who you are as a firm, who you are as a person, um, you're you're sort of taking a back seat, right? I think that's so relevant to what we're talking about today because you mentioned 
I don't know, 20 or 30 areas where we could fine-tune process and fine-tune what we're doing to expand just even a little bit in each category, expand for efficiency or expand for profitability. And I know what we do an exercise at Business of Design sometime about the power of 1%. You know, people forget like 1% is the difference between a new car, you know, every six months and not a new car every six months. Like it can be a really big deal, 1%. So constantly looking for ways to expand, even the littlest bit is so important. Agreed. Yeah. And in, 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 in different areas, right? Again, not, not, not necessarily revenue. The revenue is, is important. But even if you say to yourself, well, how can I grow in process? Or how can I go grow in my client contract? Or how can I grow in my client relationships? How do I make clients uh, maybe feel, feel, feel that they have more value or something yeah. like that, right? And I think you could consistently just expand upon it. But anyway, that, that, I, I wish I knew where I read it from. Um, because I would love to go back to it, but it's been so many years and uh, it always just stuck with me. I think that's great. And I hope you'll come back on the podcast uh, and have that conversation about 1%. I think that'd be a really good conversation. All the the difference that 1% can make. And uh, you're a wonderful guest. I hope you're feeling better. Like, you you know, get better, get stronger. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening and supporting the BOD mission to improve the industry one design business at a time. If you're ready to implement an exact business model for running a streamlined, profitable business, field tested by thousands of design professionals around the world, head to businessofdesign.com and get started today. It's time to dramatically improve your business and transform your life. 